0: turn with me in your bibles to ephesians chapter 5 i'll be reading ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 21. Uh, ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 21 i know that probably comes at least a, a little bit as a surprise as we are currently in a series of sermons from the book of acts so so let me explain for For the last several weeks, uh, we have been working our way through uh, Luke's account of, of God prompting Peter to take the Gospel to Cornelius, a Roman centurion stationed in Caesarea. And we've seen that God orchestrated this encounter... To teach the church that the gospel of His Son, the gospel concerning Jesus Christ, that this gospel is a gospel, yes, for the Jews, but not only for the Jews. It is a gospel for the Gentiles, too, and for the Gentiles as Gentiles. That is, Gentiles can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ without becoming Jews, with, without submitting to the Jewish ceremonial laws, those laws that distinguish Jews from Gentiles. Because salvation is in Christ alone, and because it is received by faith alone, the gospel is for all who believe, Jew and Gentile alike. Last Sunday, we saw that God hammered home this point by pouring out his Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, on those Gentiles who were gathered at the home of Cornelius to hear the gospel that Peter brought to them. When they heard and believed that gospel, they received the Spirit. And this served as a mark... Of their faith. It set them, it identified them as full members of Christ's church on equal footing with their Jewish brothers and sisters because the Holy Spirit is the gift promised by the Father to all who believe in His Son. If God poured out His Spirit on these Gentiles when they believed, it means that their faith was approved and received by Him apart from works of the law. But of course, that outpouring of the Spirit also teaches us that we have received the Spirit when we believed the gospel, when we heard and believed the good news of Jesus Christ, just like those Gentiles and just like the the first Jews on the the day of, of Pentecost, when we heard and received the gospel, we were baptized with the Spirit. If we have received and rested upon Jesus Christ for our salvation, then we have the Spirit. All who believe are are baptized. Baptism with the Spirit is not a second blessing reserved only for some, but rather it is the initial blessing given to all who believe, and that includes us. And this is the glorious truth that we focused on last Sunday, that we, that we soaked in just this reality that we have the Spirit. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the, the same power that raised him from the dead is now at work in us. That is the, the glorious truth of, of Pentecost, which is still true for Christ's church today. But this morning, I want us to look at this passage in Ephesians, because I want us to understand that having the Spirit does not mean there's nothing left for us to do. Having access to the Spirit's power is not the same thing as appropriating the Spirit's power. The one who who has been baptized with the Spirit must walk in the Spirit. Or as Paul puts it here, the one who has been baptized and sealed with the Spirit must be filled with the Spirit. And it is this reality, this, this need for the ongoing, continuing filling of the Spirit that I want us to focus on this morning. I want us to hear Paul say that you who were sealed with the Spirit when you first believed, as he says to the Ephesians in chapter 1, you who were sealed to the Spirit must now be continuously filled with the Spirit so that you may walk in wisdom, so that you may walk in the will of the Lord. But before we hear the uh, the reading and the preaching of God's word, let us pray and ask for his blessing this morning. Father God, we come before you. We come before you to, to hear your voice, to hear your words, to hear your truth spoken through this letter father to the ephesians written by paul under the inspiration of the spirit to teach us about the work of the spirit in our lives and father we pray that that same spirit would indeed be at work here this morning opening our minds and our hearts to receive this truth to to rest in it and to bring forth its fruit in our lives we pray this in jesus name amen ephesians chapter 5 beginning at verse 15 this is the very word of god Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the reading of God's Word. Children, you can come forward to meet Mr. Sumner at the front.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is this is my pet bird Jerry. See him? Isn't, isn't he pretty? It's just, a, it's just a good little bird. He's super duper relaxed. Doesn't sing. Um, just kind of goes with the flow. Whatever whatever, well, I can move him anywhere. He doesn't care. It doesn't care. Look, i mean, look, look how he flies. It's okay. Just <laughs> gravity. He doesn't care. He's Super chill. Goes wherever, goes wherever the gravity wants him to go. Um, now, if you saw a bird that didn't sing and just went along with gravity, what would you think about it? It's messed up. It's messed up. Maybe, uh, yeah? It's hurting. It's hurting. Um, probably not alive, right? It's, you know, maybe fake or dead. Or if you were ever at a river and you said, oh, look, there's a fish but the fish was just kind of bumping into rocks and going to wherever the water went, you'd probably realize that that fish was dead and you'd think, ooh, that's that's kind of gross. So um, it's kind of what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Um, So Jesus says, if we believe in Jesus, if we trust Jesus, he has given his spirit to live in us. And the spirit helps us to live out Jesus's life, to follow him, to love each other. The Spirit helps us to obey God. And, um, but often, we just kind of give in to the forces in the world around us. We, maybe we're tired and we don't feel like obeying Jesus, or maybe we wanna fit in with what everybody else is doing and it's not cool to honor your father and mother, so you just kind of go along with those things. That's kind of like, Having the spirit and doing that is kind of like a bird who's been given the gift of flight and then doesn't use it. That's kind of, that'd be kind of pointless and silly. But instead of doing that, we want to live in the spirit's power. We want to um, ask ourselves, what, what would Jesus have done when his mama told him to clean the table? Or... What is the loving thing to do for someone who needs a friend and doesn't have one? And then we believe that the Spirit really does give us power to do what's right. Now, there's one more thing that uh, is, you know, that I mentioned that was wrong with this bird, is that it doesn't sing. What kind of bird doesn't sing? That's kind of pitiful. Do you know we're made to sing also? God made us to sing. In fact, there's a certain auto parts store jingle that I bet if I got it going, I could have half this congregation singing it with me because it's just so catchy. Um, So naturally we sing, but also by nature, we don't really sing stuff that's very good stuff. We sing whatever silly thing pops in our head. And uh, that's why Paul says that one way, one simple way of exercising the Spirit's power in our life, of living out that life of Jesus, is to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're already doing this morning. And so when you come to church, whether it's Wednesday night or Sunday morning, you want to walk by the Spirit and sing with all your strength, because God is worthy of that. And then even when you're at home, these ch- songs that you've learned at church, you can walk by the Spirit, and sing songs to Him as you're going about your day. And that's a good way to start walking by the Spirit. All right? Y'all can go back. Thank you.
0: If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. As I said, we're focusing this morning on, on verses 15 through 21. And the, the central command in these verses is there in verse 18. The central command that I that I want us to really meditate upon this morning is that command to be filled with the Spirit. We, we know that as believers in Christ, we have been sealed with the Spirit. The, the Spirit has been poured out on us. We have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. We, we know that is true. For, for Paul tells us that the one who does not have the Spirit does not have Christ. If you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. And so we know we have the Spirit. And yet even as those who have the Spirit, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And so it's that command that I want us to, to focus on this morning. And, and really just starting with just the, the fact that it is a command. The first thing I want to note, I want us to notice is the command itself. Paul is commanding the Ephesian Christians whom, whom he said were sealed with the Spirit when they first believed. He, he said that back in chapter one, when, when Paul was recounting all of the blessings that belonged to the Ephesians in Christ. One of those blessings was that they had been sealed with the Spirit when they first believed but these believers who have been filled with who have been sealed with the spirit are now being commanded to be filled with the spirit and this tells us that that being sealed or being baptized with the spirit does not preclude but, but actually necessitates being filled being filled is not something extra that you need to do because you haven't don't have the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means that we are going to allow the Spirit now to empower us in our daily lives, and this is something that we uh, can do and something that we must do because we have received the Spirit, because we have been baptized in the Spirit. This, this command teaches us that, that as Spirit-filled Christians, we must appropriate the power of the Spirit in order to walk in the The will of the Lord. We've been called to to follow Christ. We've been been called to walk in the footsteps of faith. And if we are going to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received, then we must be continually filled with the Spirit. For such a walk, such a life doesn't just happen. As as Isaac was saying to the kids, if if you do not appropriate the power of the Spirit, if you do not live out of the power of the Spirit, you will just simply go with the flow. You will go with the, the pattern of this age. And the pattern of this age does not accord with God's wisdom. It does not accord with His will. If we are going to walk in the footsteps of faith, we need the power of the Spirit. And so look at the, look at the command again. Look at the form that the command takes. This command is a present passive imperative, and I know uh, that's not what most of you want to hear. Most of you don't want to hear grammar, but but I think it's actually important. It's important for us to to look at the form of this command. First of all, it is a, a passive imperative. That seems almost oxymoronic. It seems, it seems contradictory for it to be a, a passive imperative. That is, an imperative tells us that it is something we must do. We, must, we have some role to play and are being filled. And yet that it is passive tells us that it's something we can't do. It's something that has to be done to us. Uh, We we cannot fill ourselves, but rather we must be filled. It is is something that God does. When when theologians see these these passive verbs this way, they they recognize that that the author is is suggesting that this is something that God must do. And so it is a a passive imperative that, that tells us that it is something that God must do, but something that we must actively receive. And it's an imperative that is in the present tense. That's important, too, because when uh, authors speak in the present tense, they're telling us that it's not something that we do once and forever, and then then we can forget about it. But but rather, it's telling us that this is something that we must do again and again. When Paul said that the the Christians were sealed with the Spirit when they first believed, he used an an aorist tense, a a tense that talks about a past-completed action. An action that has happened once and does not need to be done again because God has done it definitively. But That's not the tense he uses here. Rather, here he uses a a present tense which, which speaks of something that needs to happen continuously. Something that needs to happen again and again and again throughout the course of our lives. And so when we look at this command itself, when we just look at the the form that it takes, we learn several things about being filled with the Spirit. First, we learn that this filling is absolutely necessary. Sealing or or baptism is not enough in itself. The Spirit-baptized believer needs to be filled. The spirit-baptized believer needs to appropriate the power of the Spirit in order to walk in the will of the Lord. And they need to do this continuously. They need to do this again and again. But they need to have God do it to them. They can't fill themselves. And so the, the idea is that we need to position ourselves to receive the filling of the Spirit that is absolutely necessary if we are going to live the lives that we have been called to live. If we are going to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ, we must position ourselves to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. But, but why exactly is it so necessary for us to be filled with the Spirit in order to live the lives that we have been called to? To live. That's the the second thing I want us to to notice in this passage. And we see it there in the phrase that uh, that Paul uses in verse 15. Christians must be filled with the Spirit because they are called to be wise and to make the best use of the time. And that requires Spirit-empowered intentionality. If you're going to be wise... Then, then you need to be careful. Now, that you're to be wise, again, is, is clear. Paul actually says it twice. Look again. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk or, or how you live, Not as unwise, but as wise. The call is to be wise. And he says it again in in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the goal is that we would be wise. The goal is that we would walk in the wisdom of the Lord. And think about what that means in in biblical language. Being wise is not being crafty. It's not being good at at getting what you want in, in biblical language. But rather, wisdom is walking in, in a way that acknowledges that God is God. Think of the fool in the Scriptures. Who is the fool? The fool is the one who says in his heart that there is no God. The fool is the one who lives as if God is not there. The, the one who lives as if he is free to do what he wants with impunity, to, to pursue his own interests without being held accountable. The one who thinks that he answers to No one. That is the biblical fool. The fool is the one who disregards God. That's actually the the very essence of ungodliness in in biblical language. Ungodliness is living as if God were not there. Ungodliness is living as if you belonged to yourself and could do whatever was right in your own eyes, that you could do whatever was, was pleasing to your own sinful heart. But wisdom, by contrast... is is skill in the art of godly living. Wisdom is the ability to take the knowledge of God's will and apply it to the particulars of of your circumstances. It's it's knowing not only that you're supposed to love your neighbor, that's that's knowledge, but knowing how to love this particular neighbor in this particular situation. I'm sure you've been in in situations where you knew you were supposed to, to love this person, but you didn't quite know how. Well, wisdom is the skill of of loving that particular person in that particular situation. Wisdom is is skill in godly living in the situation that you find yourself in. And that's what we are being called to. We are are being called to to walk in the will of the Lord in whatever situation God has placed us. This, This is what Christians have been saved to. You see, we, we sometimes get confused because we say that we are saved by grace apart from works of the law. And it's, it's easy for sinful ears to hear that and think, oh great, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want. I've been saved by grace. Therefore, I can go my own way. I can do my own thing. But that is never the way that the Scriptures talk. You have been saved by grace apart from works of the law. True. You are saved only and exclusively by what Christ has done for you. He is your substitute. His righteousness is your only hope. Your your, uh, hope of inheritance is grounded and rooted exclusively in His resurrection from the dead. All of that is is true and all of that is received by, by faith alone apart from works of the law. It is the one who believes in Him, the one who calls upon His name, who is saved. But you have to understand that salvation, salvation is defined by God. And the salvation that he offers us is a salvation of restoration. It is a salvation of reconciliation. It is a salvation of being restored to your position as an image bearer of God. The position for which you were created. A position of of reflecting His glory in this world. We have not been saved to do what is right in our own eyes. We have not been saved to to go our own way and to do our own thing. Rather, we have been saved to serve Him. To reflect His glory. To walk in His ways. to, To conform our life to the pattern of His word this is what salvation looks like and this is true freedom contrary to to our intuition in in god's economy in god's cosmos freedom is found in obedience freedom is not found in, in in going our own way going our own way actually makes us slaves slaves to our sinful passions that that lead us to death freedom is found in submission Freedom is found in obedience, and it is to such freedom that we have been saved. We find our lives by losing them. When we deny ourselves to to follow Christ, we are given the life for which we were created. But what Paul is driving home in this passage is that such living requires intentionality. In order to walk in wisdom... In order to to walk in the will of the Lord, we must be careful how we walk. My kids uh, have, have often enjoyed hiking up Goforth Creek. It's a, it's a creek out near the Akoi, And it's, it's a fun climb. It's a, it's a fairly simple climb. Uh, but it can at times be, be dangerous because some of the, the rocks are, are slippery. And I used to always tell my kids, you need three points of contact. You know, when you're, when you're climbing up these rocks, have, have two hands and a foot or at least have three parts of your body on the ground at one time because it's very easy for you to slip. If you're going to make progress, you need to be careful. Because gravity's working against you. <laughs> and if you're not careful, you might fall. But Paul is telling us that the Christian life is something like that. If we are going to walk in the will of the Lord, we must be careful. Simply drifting, simply going along carelessly will not lead us where we want to go. It's like that fish bumping down the stream that Isaac was, was talking about. It doesn't, just drifting, just just going with the flow, doesn't lead us where we want to go. If we are going to walk in wisdom, we must be careful. If we're going to walk in wisdom, we must be intentional. Why? Because the days are evil. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul uses the phrase of this present evil age. Elsewhere in this letter, he's going to speak of this present darkness. He, he's referring to the reality that in this present age, sin is at work. And the, and the prince of the power of the air is, is, is seeking to, uh, seeking whom he may devour. That's the reality of the age that we live in. We, we live in an age where, where sin is, is rampant and, and our enemies are on the attack. And that enemy, even that, 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 that sin while it no longer has dominion over us in Christ, it still wages war against our soul, even from within. Our own passions, our own sinful desires wage war against our soul in this present evil age. And so as long as we live in this present evil age, until that day when Christ comes to to bring to completion the good work that he has begun, until that day... When his kingdom is established on earth as it is in heaven, we must be careful how we walk. Because the the powers of this age seek to drag us off of the narrow way. They seek to to drag us away away from the way of life. They seek to drag us into those things that, that lead to death. Wisdom in this life, wisdom in this present evil age requires careful intentionality. We must carefully endeavor to walk in the will of the Lord. And it is that need for careful endeavor that, that, that drives home the, the, the need to be filled with the Spirit. That's why Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit think about what it means to be drunk think about what it means to be drunk with wine the one who is is drunk cannot be careful the one who is is drunk loses self-control he he, he is he sets free all of his natural sinful inclinations it's why paul says that that drunkenness leads to debauchery it leads to lawlessness to, to follow the law, you have to be careful. You have to know what the will of the Lord is, and you have to seek to do it. But when you are drunk with wine, you do whatever comes naturally. You do whatever you want to do. And we do not naturally submit to God's law in this present evil age. And so when we, when we are drunk with wine... It leads to debauchery, it leads to lawlessness, it it leads to to giving free reign to our sinful desires. And this is why Paul says, do not get drunk with wine. Drinking in in and of itself is is not a sinful thing. But we are commanded not to get drunk because if we are going to honor the Lord in this age, we must walk carefully. We must be careful how we walk. We must intentionally seek to, to walk in the will of the Lord. And if we are going to do that, if we are going to to walk in His way, if we are going to walk in His will, then we need not to be filled with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. We need the Spirit empowering us to walk in the footsteps of our faith. And this, of course, then brings us to our final question. If we need the power of the Spirit to to walk in, in wisdom, if we need the the power of the Spirit to walk in the way that that we have been called to to go, and if this is something that we cannot fill ourselves with, but must be filled with by God himself, how then do we position ourselves to receive what we can only receive from God? If we need God to do it, but but it's a command given to us, What is exactly our role in this filling with the Spirit that we so desperately need? And I think this is actually the question that Paul is beginning to answer in verse 19. Look again. I know we've talked a lot about grammar, but but look again at what's going on here. After giving the command to be filled with the Spirit, Paul writes a number of subordinate clauses. Clauses that are subordinate to that main command. And we we know they're subordinate because they're participles. These are are, uh, subordinate verbs to the the main verb. The main command is be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, uh, he gives us a number of clauses that can be grouped under, I think, three headings. First, he says, addressing one another. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. And, and there's actually a number of verbs there. There's addressing, there's, there's singing, there's making melody. But, but again, the, the main idea is that these this is a, a group of, of verbs that, that speak about singing the songs of the Lord with one another from your heart to the Lord. This is the first thing that we must do. Secondly, we must give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, we must sing. Second, we must give thanks. And third, we must submit. He writes, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. These are our three things that we must do because he has commanded us to be filled with the Spirit. The question, of course, is how exactly do they relate to that main command? The the main command is to be filled. The the subordinate commands are to to sing, to give thanks, and to to submit. But but how exactly are are singing and giving thanks and and submitting related to that command to be filled? Now, there are some who, who believe that Paul is simply here describing the life of one who is filled with the Spirit. That When he he speaks about singing and giving thanks and and submitting, he's saying this is what it will look like when you are filled with the Spirit. This is is what your life will look like. The life of one who is filled with the Spirit is the life of one who sings praises to God together with the people of God. The life of one who is filled with the Spirit is the, uh, the life of one who gives thanks to God in all situations. And the life of one who is filled with the Spirit is the life of one who submits to his brothers and sisters in and, and surely all of that is true. Surely this is what a life filled with the Spirit looks like. But I, but I think there's more going on here than this. Paul is not merely describing life in the Spirit, but actually I think he is telling us how we can be filled with the Spirit. He, he's telling us how to position ourselves to receive the filling with the Spirit that we so desperately Need. He is telling us to be filled with the Spirit by singing and by giving thanks and and by submitting to one another. And some people get nervous when I when I say it that way. They they get nervous because it sounds a lot like works righteousness. If God is telling us to do something in order to be filled with the Spirit, then it sounds like somehow our works are are grabbing hold of the Spirit. Somehow our works are, are earning this. Filling. But, but you recognize that in this context, the, the idea of earning is completely absent. God is, Paul has already made it clear that we can't fill ourselves, that this is something that, that God has to do. And, and so we, we recognize that, that Paul is not telling us something that we have to do in order to earn this filling with the Spirit. But rather, he is telling us what we must, the, the means that God has instituted by which he's going to pour the Spirit into our lives. You see, the idea of, of God giving us something to do is not foreign to the gospel at all. We believe that we are justified in Christ alone by faith alone. Who is justified? The one who believes. Who believes? You believe. Faith is the instrument by which we lay hold of the blessings that are ours in And so the idea that we have to do something to lay hold of the blessings that are offered to us is not at all foreign to the gospel. And here I think that that Paul is suggesting... But if we would be filled with the Spirit in order to walk in the way of wisdom, in order to walk in the will of the Lord, then we must do these things. Not because these things earn the filling of the Spirit, but it's because when we do these things that God has freely ordained to pour out the Spirit on us. He doesn't pour out the Spirit on us when we are doing our own thing and going our own way. He pours out the Spirit on us when we begin to Sing the songs of praise that, that his name deserves. And we begin to give thanks to him for his good work. And when we begin to love one another by, by submitting our interests to the interests of others. So let's, let's look more closely at, at each of these three uh, aspects of, of being filled with the Spirit. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit first, we must sing. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit first, we must Sing. And, and the singing here is clearly the singing of, of worship. It is, the, it is the singing of, of praising God. The, the psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs are, are songs that recount what? That recount the mighty deeds of the Lord. The person and the work of God are the subject matter of these songs. And so when we are singing, we are declaring the greatness of God. We are declaring the greatness of who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. And we are singing these songs together. Notice, we are addressing one another. Sometimes in our circles, in order to sort of um, push against some of the modern tendencies in worship, we talk about worship being an audience of one. That we are we are merely, that God is the only one that we are concerned about. That is not the way the New Testament speaks about worship. In worship, we come together for the benefit of one another. We, we actually address these songs to one another. Why? Because God knows we need to live in community if we are going to remember His greatness and we are going to see His, His glory. It's as we come together and sing these songs, as we address these songs to one another, that we help one another to see, we help one another to remember the, the wonder of who God is in Christ. We we were created for community. We need to worship in community. And of course that happens not only when the whole church gathers on Sunday morning, but it happens whenever we we gather even in smaller groups. Maybe it's just your family. Maybe it's just a few of your friends. But when we sing together, when we sing these songs together, we we are together remembering the greatness and the glory of our God. And we we are directing these songs to one another and to him. We are praising Him and we are doing it from the heart. That is sincerely. We are sincerely meditating upon and and reflecting upon the the glory and the grandeur of our God. And what these songs allow us to do, they they allow us not only to express what we already know, but they they allow those truths that we've heard to to be rooted in our hearts. It's, It's what singing does. Singing is not only expressive, it is formative. It is formative. It is is through song that these that these truths take root in our hearts. And so one of the, the the first step towards being filled with the Spirit is meditating upon and soaking in the wonder of who God is and who He is for us in Christ through song. Songs sung together with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Worship is formative. Worship is the fountain of the Christian life. And it's as we worship together. That, that, that God prepares us to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's the, the first step that we are to take. But, but notice this singing, this singing together, these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, this, this singing inevitably and rightly leads to giving thanks. So what's the difference between singing songs of praise and, and giving thanks? And In many ways, they, they, they overlap. But, but I think the distinction comes in the fact that giving thanks acknowledges that, what, uh, that who God is and what He has done, He is and He has done for us. That we are the beneficiaries. So that, so that God is not just great, He's not just good, but He is our God. He's not just the Heavenly Father, He is our Father. Giving thanks makes the, the glory and the grandeur of God personal. We take the glory and the grandeur of the God and we recognize that all that he is, he has poured out for our good. That's the the wonder of of giving thanks. It's it's why our confession uses the language of receiving and resting. The the receiving is the acknowledging of the, the truth of who God is. Receiving the truth of who God is and what he has done. Resting makes it personal. Resting in it says, he did this for me. And I think the same thing can be true about giving thanks. It's it's exactly what we we see here. We we have received and we have rested. We have have praised God for who he is and we give him thanks that he is all that he is for us. And because we are praising the omnipotent, uh, omniscient God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, we give thanks in and for all things. Because we recognize that, that, that the love that he has demonstrated for us in Christ is a love that is always at work and is a love that is working all things together for our good so that we are able to give thanks for all things. Not because all things are good. In this present evil age, there are true evils. But even those evils cannot undo God's purposes to bless his people. Even those uh, evils cannot uh, thwart God's plans to work for the good of his children. And so his children are free. They are free to give thanks for all things because they know all things are in the hands of their Heavenly Father. They know that he is working all things together for their good. That's the wonder of of what's going on here. It's why we, we, we began this worship service saying he is our help and in him we have been set free from all fear, even the fear of death itself. That's what's going on here. He's he's calling on them to give thanks because all that God is, he is for them. And when you have been set free from every fear, even the fear of death itself, you have then been set free to serve. You have been set free to, to give your life away. For the blessing of your neighbors. And that's the last thing that, that Paul mentions here. He, he speaks of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ because you know that Christ is your king. You are now free to submit your interest to the interest of your neighbors. You are now free to serve wholly and without reservation. It's, it's actually what Paul was talking about earlier when he, when he spoke about making the best use of the time. That, that phrase there in, in verse 16 is, is an economic turn, actually. Sometimes it's, it's translated as, as redeeming. You, you may have heard the phrase, redeeming the time. This is where that phrase comes from. He, he's talking about buying it back, redeeming the, the time. And, and the word that he uses for time here is, is significant. It's not, it's not the normal word chronos that we think of for, for time, that the word which sort of speaks of, of the sequence of moments. But rather, it's the word kairos. It, it's a word that, that is sometimes translated as Opportunity. In fact, that's the way that it gets translated in in Galatians chapter 6. The the kairos is the opportunity. And and Paul there tells the Galatian Christians to, to make the most of every opportunity. Not to grow weary of doing good, but to take every opportunity to serve the good of their neighbors. It's exactly the same thing that he is speaking of here. He's speaking here of redeeming every opportunity, taking every opportunity to do good. Make the most of every opportunity to serve the interest of your neighbors, especially the household of faith, he says in Galatians, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. But really anybody and everyone who God weaves into the fabric of your life, take every opportunity, redeem every opportunity to serve them because you have nothing to fear. The God Almighty, the God who who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is working for your good. And therefore you are free from every fear. And in that freedom you can give yourself away for the good of your neighbor. Now, As you hear me describe this, as you hear me describe this life of praise and of of thanksgiving and of of service, you may be thinking, "I, I, I actually need the Spirit to do that. And you'd be right. We need the Spirit if we are going to do this. We need the Spirit if we are going to to worship God rightly. We need the the Spirit if we are to to give thanks to Him sincerely. And we need the Spirit if we are going to, to serve others joyfully. But here's the thing. It is as we set ourselves to do these things that God fills us with the Spirit that we need to actually accomplish them. You see, we want God to sort of give us the Spirit... Place them at our disposal and then let us decide what we're going to do with them. That's not the way that God's economy works. It's, It's as we give ourselves to these things that he fills us, that his power flows through us to do them. And so if you want the Spirit to love your neighbor, seek to love your neighbor and you will be filled. If you want the the, the power of the Spirit to worship Him, don't wait till you feel like it to come to worship, but come into His presence to worship Him, and He will meet you. He will fill you that you might worship Him with all your heart. If you want to be more thankful, give thanks, and He will fill you with the Spirit of thanksgiving that you might recognize all the wonders of, of what is yours in Christ. This is the way that God's economy works. He doesn't give you the Spirit and then let you decide what to do with it. He gives you the Spirit as you are seeking to walk in the wisdom. As you are seeking to walk in His will. Which you're only doing because the Spirit has already made you alive together with Him. Remember, it is only those who have the Spirit who can be filled with the Spirit. And so the Spirit is already at work. And if you will now, in the power of that Spirit, endeavor to to live out the life of the Spirit, then you will be filled with the Spirit to overflowing To accomplish all that God has called you to. If you would know the power of the Spirit, seek to live the life that the Spirit is calling you to. And your Heavenly Father will not withhold His gift. He He delights to give. He delights to give more abundantly than we can ask or imagine. If we will simply give ourselves to the life that He is calling us to, He will fill us that we might worship Him that we might give him thanks and that we might serve one another. And because he does this for all his children who seek to walk in the footsteps of faith, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that, that you give your spirit with, without reservation to your children so that they might walk in the footsteps of faith, that they might live lives worthy of the calling that they have received. And Father, we pray even here this morning that you, that you would fill us as we go forth from here to honor you in this life. Father, may we be careful how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And as we seek to walk in your will, Father, may we be filled to overflowing, that we may do so in a manner that is pleasing to you. And that brings glory to your name. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.